I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. This is a pre-recorded program presented by KSL News Radio and Intermountain Healthcare. Healthy Mind Matters, brought to you by Intermountain Healthcare. We discuss the important community issues of stronger mental health, emotional wellness, and the growing problem of addiction. Here's our host, Maria Chaleos, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Thank you for joining us for Healthy Mind Matters. Today we are talking about domestic violence and the Stop the Violence campaign. With me, Gladie Larson, who is the Director of Development for Safe Harbor, and Lisa Nichols, the Assistant Vice President of Community Health for Intermountain Healthcare. Gladie, you've been talking about how often victims of domestic violence aren't far from the perpetrator of that violence. And I want to talk about just for a second so people can understand, because I'm sure for many people, they don't understand that um, their spouse or whoever, you know, goes to work. And that's kind of a problematic right now, I understand. But there's usually time when they're separate from them. So explain what happens in a domestic violence situation. Just, just kind of explain the control element that exists in that in that relationship. Control is actually one of the uh elements that the perpetrator of domestic violence is using um, to continue that violence. Um, They want power over the victim. And when there's isolation, and now the victim doesn't have an opportunity to possibly make a call, or to, as they're going to work, they can't stop and, and visit a facility that can help them. Um, They have no way of contacting even law enforcement because all of it, they might actually have their phone taken away from them. They might actually have, uh, they, they no longer probably have to go to work. They're working from home. Um, so they don't have the two seconds that takes for them to ask for help. Um, and they're constantly being, um, uh, they, they have full control of every action that they take. So it takes, I, I don't, I know that a lot of people have probably seen one of the videos that's out there where uh, a victim of domestic violence uh, went to a vet just to take their dog. And while she was waiting at the vet, um, she slipped a note to one of the receptionists. If you have seen that video, you notice how that took two seconds. Um, she just said she needed to go to the restroom, went back, slipped a note, and that's how they were able to get a hold of the perpetrator. But most of the time, if you're isolated, you don't even have those two seconds. That means that now um, you are the person perpetrating that violence is in full control of everything that you do and every minute of your day. So Lisa, that is the importance behind this campaign and getting people to act now. What exactly would you like folks to be doing? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we want them to to be aware of uh, this crisis and the ways that it's escalated as part of the pandemic. And then just to feel um, some personal power in terms of being able to watch, to listen and to take some action. And, you know, we were speaking earlier, sometimes uh, people will be dismissive, but I think it's also somewhat common for them to think, um, 
you know, that it's a helpless situation and, and that they can't do anything. And perhaps they've even, you know, mentioned this to their friend or family member before and it, and it hasn't, the situation hasn't changed. And, and so there is, uh, there's some patience required here um, because it, it, it's a major life change uh, to disrupt your family. And um, particularly when you're in a, a very vulnerable situation, uh, maybe not feeling as confident in yourself. And so encourage people to, to listen, uh, to speak up, to offer help and and just to continue to do it um, as as frequently as they can. I think part of the problem is when I get in a situation like this, I want to fix it. And that can be a very dangerous place to be in a very unhelpful place for a victim. Um, Maybe talk about the balance, Gladdy. How do we, uh, we can't fix it for them, obviously, but, but what can we do? Um, we can't fix it for them, but we definitely can um, be there for them. We, I think sometimes when a victim of domestic violence is going through uh, that experience, they feel very alone and you can be their support. You can let them know they are not alone. Uh, there are um, committed um you know, resources out there in the community to help them. There's professionals that know exactly what the uh, what each person needs and how to support them. So it's make it's taking that extra step. It's letting them know they're not alone. It's believing them and making sure that they uh, that the victim knows that if for some reason the problem escalates even further, that they know that they can go to your home or that they can give you a call and then you'd be there for them. So that's really important and that's what you can do. Um, I would advise that no one get in between um, the person perpetrating the the violence or the victim. I think that's a very dangerous um, position to be in. And unfortunately, law enforcement um, is in that position very many times. Uh, law enforcement, when they uh, um, go to a call, sometimes that is one of the deadliest calls that they will answer. It's a domestic violence call. So please leave uh, the hard um, parts to the professionals and just be support. Just let them know they're not alone. Um, reach out to anyone that can help them and give them all of the resources that you can find so that they know what the next steps can be. Healthcare providers play a big role in that that's probably someone that, you know, most people can see. Yeah, yeah, they do play a big role. Uh, And and some um, individuals are going to uh, share uh, their history of domestic violence, but many will not. So as I said earlier, it's really, I think, vital for health systems to move towards universal screening. Uh, you know, we also know that there there are people who are at higher risk, women of childbearing age often are at higher risk. Um, there are diagnoses that more commonly uh, go with a history of domestic violence. We don't wanna rely there, but but we wanna be aware and, and really be part of the solution uh, in terms of being a safe space, uh, identifying, uh, you know, someone who might be a victim offering them resources um, and, and, and really just meeting them where they are. You know, Marie, as you said, we, uh, you want to fix it. You want to, you know, whisk them out of that situation. And, um, and, and sometimes it's just not, not the right time uh, or, or the right thing. So it's continuing to offer those resources. I think that's such an important 
point, Lisa, because not all situations are the same. They're not all at the same level. And the and, and maybe, Gladdy, maybe that's something we should define. Um, domestic violence comes in all sorts of different forms, doesn't it? That, that, that's correct. Uh, domestic violence is not just physical. I think that's what most people understand as domestic violence. But we see financial, um, economical, psychological uh, violence. So I think that sometimes is just understanding what domestic violence truly is. Um, there's also something that we use in all of the domestic violence um, agencies and uh, pro- uh, service providers, and that's called the safety plan. And the safety plan then um, meets that uh, victim uh, where they are and what the next steps may be. And it, uh, a lot of times it's leaving that the perpetrator or leaving that violent situation is possibly the most dangerous um, time of their life. Uh, if we can meet with them and teach them what the next steps are and doing it in a safe way, that's going to help them leave that situation, but do so in a safe way. And that's what we can offer them in all of the different agencies that are out there. We have professionals that are dedicated to meeting them and keeping them safe. All right. We need to take a break. Again, I want to give the information, the resources available to folks who may be in the situation. The state link line is 1-800-897-LINK or 1-800-897-5465. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.